This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we'll check in with a couple of guests. We'll talk to UFC welterweight Michael Chiesa. We'll also check in with Asher Elbine of The Daily Beast regarding his article on how the coronavirus is affecting the comic book industry. And we'll explain how on earth it came to be in Florida that the WWE was named by the governor as an essential business. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 3 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. We've been, ha- we've been trying to cover the story about where and when the UFC might get back to action. And the answer is, look, nobody really knows. I mean, anything I'm about to say is wildly speculative. Anything anyone else is about to say, absent direct conversations with the UFC, is also wildly speculative. On the other hand, uh, it should be noted that um, there are some places you can look to where there might be just more reason to believe there's a roadmap there. And one of those roadmaps is actually going to be where pro wrestling is and what pro wrestling is doing. You know, Dana White said something years ago like when the UFC, uh, under the ownership of the Fertitas, bought it out, the UFC, from the SEG company. Um, so this is like, what, 2001-ish or so, something like that, 2000? That their roadmap was, hey, wherever boxing is popular, we're going to go there. So, you know, uh, Mexico, UK, that kind of a thing. And they found out that it could be popular there, but that MMA had a bit of a different world footprint. And it much more closely aligned, I think, they didn't say this part, I'm adding this one, much more closely aligned with um, you know different martial arts cultures and then also where pro wrestling is popular. Well, what is pro wrestling doing right now? Well, I don't want to speak for the full industry, but WWE is operating out of its Performance Institute in Florida. Now, why is that relevant? Because news came down yesterday that the Florida governor, every governor is trying to deal with the situation related to COVID-19. You can, and they all have either stay-at-home orders or some, some kind of shelter in place or whatever, such that the rules end up kind of being, hey, um, we'll keep open essential services, uh, grocery stores, uh, banks, um, gas stations, that kind of a thing. And you can go and shop there if you need. If you work at those places, certainly you're going to be called upon to help. But um, those are called essential services. Now, the state and the the cities have latitude in how they enforce what is and isn't essential. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has deemed, essentially, WWE as an essential service in the state of Florida. Um, I'm not making that up. Which means it would be exempt from shutdown requirements. He signed the order last week, and it technically applies to, quote, employees at a professional sports and media production with a national audience, including any athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and any others necessary to facilitate, including services supporting such production, only if the location is closed to the general public. Now, you might be asking why they did that. This is my opinion. I don't know this, but this appears to be naked political corruption. I mean, understand, by the way, DeSantis said WWE would be permitted to operate because, quote, they're critical to the Florida's economy, um, and they have this performance center in Orlando. Understand, the governor is granted this exemption to WWE. WWE is owned by Trump, friend, 
booster anyway, Vince McMahon. His wife, Linda McMahon, served in the Trump cabinet running the Small Business Administration and now currently runs a Trump 2020 super PAC. You know, I never want to come on here and get to obviously political news because everyone hates it, including me. But in the absence of actual games or events or tournaments or whatever, uh, it becomes a lot harder to not make those conclusions or to, to, to ignore those kinds of things. And moreover, this is such a nakedly <laughs> political decision here. I mean, is any, can anyone in their right mind say, yeah, gas stations, yes, clearly essential. The grocery stores, clearly essential. Banks, clearly essential. Pharmacies, maybe, clearly essential. You know, bookstores, not Italy did that, but they're not really essential. Um, bars, not really, you know. WWE, are we are we being serious here? This is an essential service. It's not demeaning. I mean, you, you know, MMA, sports, football, none of these are essential services. But listen to the wording that they put in the order. As I indicated before, listen to the wording here, and it will be interesting to you. Employees at a professional sports and media production, uh, or excuse me, employees... Yes, this will apply to employees at a professional sports and media production with a national audience, including any athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and any others necessary to facilitate, including services supporting such production, only if the location is closed to the general public. They didn't write it specifically, well, they probably wrote it specifically for WWE, but the language is broad enough that it does not merely apply to them. It seems like it also applies, it could anyway, and you would need some guidance on this from the state, that could apply just as easily to UFC, it seems. Right? Listen to the language. It will apply to employees at a professional sports and media production. They've got those with a national audience. They've got those, including any athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and any others necessary to facilitate, including services supporting such production, if the location is closed to the general public. How, how does that not apply to UFC? It could easily apply to UFC. Now, there's a different question here, which is, does Disney want to go through with it after the headache that was caused by UFC 249? I don't know. Somehow, I kind of doubt that. So even if they have a green light here, technically, uh, that doesn't mean they have a green light in actuality. Moreover, I would say, uh, beyond this, there's another consideration here. Vince played this one a lot smarter. Go to a state where, you know, look, the federal government has not much of a clear plan for each. They don't have much of a federal plan. So each state is kind of deciding what they want to do and, and don't do. The, the mistake, it seems like the UFC made that Vince did not. And, of course, a little bit of this is luck because the Performance Institute is based in Florida. Was if you go to a state where the governor is a little bit more in line with uh, a less restrictive vision for social distancing, which tends to, not always, um, you know, Governor Mike DeWine in Ohio is the total opposite of this, but which tends to follow, um, you know, political guidelines, you can actually just much more easily operate there. Instead, they went to California, the UFC did, which is about, you know, the bluest of blue states imaginable. And that probably had some kind of an effect. Anyway, we'll follow the story a little bit more, but I want to put that on your radar. I thought that was extremely interesting and hilarious and sad all at the same time. 
If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. To see offer details and to subscribe, you can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. All right, joining me now on the hotline is a man you know really well. I want to, We're just trying to catch up with fighters sort of in between where they are what they're up to, that sort of a thing. And uh, we want to catch, in with this, catch up with this gentleman. It's the one and only Michael Chiesa. Michael, how are you, sir? Doing good, Luke. It's good to be on here. I feel like we have a, we have a lot of heated topics to go over. <laughs> we, we certainly do. But let's sort of start with uh, your update. Are you, you're based out of what? The state of Washington? Is that right? Yep. I'm, a, I'm out of Spokane, Washington, so I'm on like the east side of the state. Um, not, not, not near Seattle. I'm like four hours away, so... Um, you know, things are pretty good here. Um, you know, I was trying to stay as safe as I can and, you know, just, just eager to get back to training and and get back to work. What is your training like? I mean, some guys have more than others at home. Some States have more restrictive measures than others. So like, give us an update on how you're kind of managing all of that. Well, you know, I have a heavy bag in my house and, and, you know, I have some kettlebells and stuff, but I mean, outside, outside of that, um, you know, training is kind of out of the question right now. Um, just, you know, it's, it's a lot of the gyms are closed. Um, you know, like my jujitsu, the ju- the jujitsu gym I go to is closed. A lot of my training partners at sick jitsu they're you know, a lot of them went back home. A lot of them are from like Seattle and stuff and they stay out here. Um, you know, so training's not that great right now, but uh, maintaining my fitness as best as I can, you know, I have access to some free weights and, and, as crazy as it is, everyone thinks I'm nuts, but I started skateboarding again and people think I'm nuts, but it's like, I, I, I usually use a lot of outdoor activities as part of like my active rest. Like I snowboard a lot and this is kind of like, I would be snowboarding right now and I don't have that. So I'm doing this and surprisingly, I'm not in terrible shape. I'm not in fight shape, but I'm maintaining a certain level of fitness where I should be able to hit the ground running when this thing ends. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, assuming that they lifted the band, let's, I mean, this just seems terribly optimistic but let's say they lifted it on may 1 you could go back to normal training may 1 how long would you need in an ideal world to take a fight after that well i mean we're may 4th so it's only three days difference but um um you know for me luke i gotta stay i'm not gonna deviate from the course they got me where i'm at you know got on a three fight win streak got some wins under my belt and those three fights were really long camps so I would need 12 weeks. I need an opponent and I need 12 weeks. And I don't care if people think that that sounds crazy, but, you know, maybe it is. But I'm not going to do anything different than what I've been doing now because it's working really well. You know what I mean? So there's no I'm not going to I'm in a position where I'm I, I just have me and my fiance and our dogs. I don't have kids. I don't have like a lot of things to maintain. So I don't fight for money. I'm fighting to win a world championship. So it's like. If I got to wait a long time to fight again, that's fine. I just got to stay the course as to what I've been doing these last three fights. I'm not going to deviate away from it. No matter the circumstances, I'm, I'm sticking to that regiment. Yeah. I mean, how are you feeling about all of this? I mean, what is your general view of the world these days? Are you a little bit more on the pessimistic side, the optimistic, somewhere in the middle with uncertainty? Give me your COVID-19 uh, dystopian worldview. Um, hold on. Sorry, my phone just did a weird thing. There you are. Um, 
Look, man, I kind of go all directions. You know, I understand that that there are people that need to make these small businesses. You know, a lot of people that is their So I feel for them in that aspect. And I think I'm thinking about everything of my you know, because that's that's the one I can most can't speak for other people. I, but I speak, you know, knowing that what it's like in this career. for a second let me interrupt for a second are you holding the phone differently because it you muffled your sound a little bit your picture is clear okay yeah i held my phone different is that good now yeah it's much better sorry finish your point i apologize oh i was just saying it'd be cool to be in school right now because then you just get like a six-month summer vacation and you know <laughs> You're, yeah but the parents would be suffering in the worst oh. kind of way oh dude we get a lot of guff from our family me and my fiance like hey when are you guys gonna have kids and i've been calling all my siblings like hey how about how are those kids, how are my nieces and nephews doing they're like you guys are so smart i'm like yeah i know <laughs> we're just loving it how, i'm how enjoying old? honestly i'm making the most of it luke i'm not i'm not in a pinch i'm in a good position in life it, this is a this is a terrible time right now we're, we're going through this is it's awful there's nothing good about it but i'm making the most of it i'm enjoying it i haven't gotten one fight with my fiance i'm still having fun i'm still staying in shape getting housework done i've kind of enjoying it so i'll be ready for it to end anytime soon now yeah, I mean, I, no matter one's, one's position, I would imagine that you're probably in agreement that when sports do come back, like MMA is going to be, if not the first, pretty close to first, right? Yeah, it, it will be the first. And I think it should be the first. That is one thing for sure. You know, I, um, it's, it's, this is a sport where we're not, we, don't get, we don't get a guaranteed salary. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and there's guys out there that they got bills to pay, they got mouths to feed, and it's stressful for them. So, I, I, I hope the MMA is the, the, the front runner, um, you know, and we'll also see what happens with this fight Island thing. You know, that should be pretty interesting, but I think that it, sports is going to be different for a while because even if we get, even when we get sports back, we're going to be fighting in empty arenas until like September. I mean, I saw the thing, our, our Emmanuel's brother is like the head of some health department thing. Did you see that? Oh, vaguely, but what, what did you see? Oh, I just saw that he, I mean, his, his brother's Ari, you know, which is, I'm, I'm not sure that's not going to sway his bias anyways, because he's a doctor, but he's just saying that, you know, they're not going to have any, you know, any arenas, any live events with people, with fans until like August or something like that, you know? So I, we're going to make do with what we get. Once they lift the band, we'll, the guys will be fighting in empty arenas. It'll be like the tough gym times 10 because the tough gym was just a little shack. 
these guys will be fighting in big empty arenas and you know whatever we'll make do with what we got but i'm ready for sports to come back that's for sure so are you confident i mean again this is all real we're just we don't know but are you confident you'll fight in 2020 um yeah i'm confident i'm confident i'll fight in 2020 you know what i mean i just gotta i just not i'm not gonna deviate away from my regiment there's fights that i want um there's interest that there's matchups that interest me um but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna chase that matchup and get away from my regiment just because i'm not i there 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 is no forgiveness you know what i mean if i lose a fight right now if i was to say let's say they call me now hey you want to fight on fight island in six weeks and it's against one of the guys i want to fight okay cool yeah i'll do it you know but there's no pardon once this thing ends like yeah you lost you get to fall down the ladder you know what i mean it's like nah i got myself higher than higher than the, the you know i'm in the top 10 i'm not gonna risk this position that i've been in to chase a matchup i'm sticking to my sticking them to my regiment sticking to my way i've been getting it done so last thing on this so i mean i would guess you're looking for what just anybody ranked above you or is there any other twist to it that you're trying to identify definitely guys ranked above me definitely guys ranked above me i mean burns uh, burns i think him and i are on a crash course i love the guy i think he's great we've been kind of picking at each other on social media like i'll jump in his live feeds and you know message him and he'll do the same for me and awesome guy styles make fights i think that's a fun fight you know, there's Wonderboy, there's Leon, there's Tyron, there's all these guys ahead of me. There's Colby. That's the one I want the most. I want I want the Colby fight the most. Um, but that's just that's just MMA math for me. If I fought Colby, I think that could and I beat him. When I, and I could beat him, I would beat him. It's a good matchup for me. I beat Colby. I think that puts me in the best position I could be in with one win. Whereas these other guys, it's like I'd probably have to beat Burns and I'd probably have to beat a Woodley or a Leon or somebody to get in the position I would get in if I beat Colby because he's still the number one guy. So I'm just doing MMA math. I'll take the tougher fight if I have to win one fight than it is to fight these other, to fight two of these other guys twice. You know what I mean? So, um, but anybody above me for sure. Let me ask you this then. Sorry, cause you piqued my interest on it. Um, who's the, of the names I'm about to mention, who's the yeah. toughest challenge for Kamaru? Jorge, okay. Colby or Leon Edwards? Um, well, that depends on what Kamaro does. That depends on what Kamaro does. If Kamaro tries to fight Masvidal the way he fought Covington, he's gonna lose. He's just Masvidal's timing's great. He's in the, he's in his groove. Um, his striking is crisp. He looks great. Um, but I think all around, I still think Colby is gonna give him the toughest fight. You know what I mean? I don't think that Leon's not gonna be able to grapple. Not gonna be able to grapple Kamaro. Um, I think Kamaro ends up wrestling him. I think Leon's super tough. I think he's the sleeper of the division. Um, but I, I still think Colby's the toughest guy to beat Kamaro. The guy that's going to beat Usman is going to, unless, like I said, unless Usman sticks to a stand-up. If, if Usman does what he's done through his all his fights, aside from the Colby fight, you know, it's going to be a grappler that beats him. It's going to be a Burns. It's going to be a me. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be one of these guys that can grapple. You know what I mean? One of these guys that can put him in a position to force him into a shot or initiate a clinch or a shot yourself. Um, but I think I think grappling is the key to beating Kamaru Usman. Hmm. All right, let's transition to lighter topics if we can. You know, I'm not worried about your future, Michael, because <laughs> you'll be able to eat out of the trash forever, which is why you eat things like chocolate hummus. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Luke, I'm going to make a bet with you someday. We're going to make some kind of wager, and on my winning side, it's going to be you have to try chocolate hummus with pretzel chips. It's going to change your life. How did you, first of all, sell me on chocolate hummus because by the, here's my, here, let me just pull the curtain back. Let me, 
this is my major objection to it, right? <laughs> it's not hummus. It's not hummus. You, it's it made with cheese. It might be delicious, maybe, but it ain't hummus. That It's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's like making some kind of thing that it has like one pizza ingredient and then calling it pizza. It ain't pizza. Listen, let me tell you about chocolate hummus. For one, it made an entry into my house because my fiance has got like a lot of allergies. She's soy, gluten, and dairy intolerant. So she's like, she eats air or just anything out of the section. And uh, she came home with this chocolate hummus. And I was like, you, it sat, it, I didn't try it at all. I was like, that sounds terrible. Like it's made of chickpeas. And she's like, yeah, but it's really good. I go, I'm never, I'm never trying that. There's, there's just no, there's no way that's happening. And I think one day I just finally snapped. They were like, we were in like my, my sister's house and she brought chocolate hummus because all the girls wanted to try it. I'm like, all right, step aside. Let's see what the rage is all about. And it tastes like pudding and it's really good. And I love it on a gluten-free pretzel chip, dude. It is like, and I may not be Lebanese. I know that you're Lebanese and my mom, who's not my biological mom, she's actually Lebanese. So I love Lebanese food. When I was in Abu Dhabi, I ate great Lebanese food. But I think that you need to embrace Times change and foods evolve. You need to embrace this chocolate. <laughs> Listen, this is a time. This is the time to try new things, Luke. While you are on lockdown, <laughs> away from the world, this is the time to try new things. You know, read a book, take an online class, try chocolate hummus. You know, get out of the box a it's, little bit. It's, it's just hard, bro, because you gotta understand hummus is like, you know how it is. There are certain foods, no matter where you find them in the world, that are like deeply cultural, like they are tied to that culture. And hummus is one that a lot of different cultures in the Middle East claim. The Lebanese among them, my mom, of course, was Lebanese. And if you know, my mom, rest in peace. But I swear to God, dude, yeah. if she was a, if she was around, saw me eating chocolate hummus, she <laughs> would beat me within an inch of my life just on principle, bro. And I've got that, I've got that thing hanging over my shoulder the whole time. You know, may, you know, maybe one day we'll be able to get over the hump and. After she knocks you dead, maybe she'll take a little scoop and try it herself. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Uh, that takes us to the next topic where we had, and this one, now this one is interesting because there was this debate. I think, did you start this debate? I can't remember where it started. I, so I made a post. <clears throat> I made a post and it was just a side-by-side -side picture of Kelly Kapowson and Topanga. And I just said, you know, A or B or whatever it was. And you, of course, went on some an educated sounding rant with a lot of big words saying how Kelly Kapowson is so much better than Topanga. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. That's not true. Look, I don't want to diss on Kelly too bad, but I will start this off with saying Kelly looks like a hoe and Topanga is <laughs> all got to know Topanga on a personal level. And you know, Topanga's that wholesome girl next door. She'd never do you wrong. You know, it's like, she's, she's got the goods. Topanga's got the goods. Now, how old are you? I'm 32. 32. So you definitely were a little bit more in the wheelhouse for what was more popular. Like Boy Meets World was definitely on when I was a kid, but it was a little yeah. bit, just a little bit behind where I was at that time. Here's my reality. Normally the type of, let's say this lightly, the type of figure that Topanga has would normally be more in my wheelhouse. But Kelly ended up being, well, the person playing her anyway, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, she was able to parlay at least two different gigs on two different shows while basically playing the same character. Topanga fizzled out after one, bro. She couldn't hang on past the one. I think the two <laughs> gigs beats the one. You know, I think we just got to do a vote. I think that we never actually did a poll. So I think that today 
I'm going to put, I will put up the poll. You put it up as well. We're not going to try to sway anybody. I'm going to do a Twitter poll. You know, who's better? Kelly Kapowski or Topanga. We'll do a poll. We'll take votes. You do the same. Don't use any of your big fancy words because people will be like, oh yeah, I'm going to trust this guy because he's smarter than me. We're going to do just a simple poll. We'll tally up our votes together and we'll see who wins. All right, deal. Loser and winner can eat chocolate hummus. How about that? <laughs> All right, deal. And one more thing. Karate Kid is not better than Rocky IV. You're so fucking I, wrong. I, no, I was going to tweet you back, Luke, and after I saw that, I was like, I am convinced you just say things to piss people off. you just Dude. like, ooh, this is a good thing I could say that's going to ruffle a lot of people's feathers. Karate Kid's better than Rocky IV. No, like, Jose, let, like, me, let, let me defend myself. Let me defend myself. This is, this is the reality on this. So people think I do that, but I don't. Here's a better explanation for why it seems that way. Because I don't really fit in in MMA, and like I, 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 I do in the sense that we all love MMA. But outside of that, bro, I don't know if I got shit in common with anybody else in the industry. Here is my argument for that: If you put on Rocky Four, am I going to turn it off? Never in a million years. I've got nothing against Rocky Four, but Karate Kid to me, first of all, who was the uh, the trainer for Rocky? Mick was that his name? Something like that. Yeah, Mick. Okay, okay, uh, Mr. Miyagi. 10 times cooler than Mick, number one. Oh Be- better side characters. Number two, you got to remember, Karate Kid is not just a martial arts movie. Dude, it's a classic 80s teen drama with Breakfast yeah. Club and, uh, and uh, 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 what was the other one? I forget now. But they, you know, the, the 80s dominated on this. Dude, that shit is eternal and lasting. And this was my other point. They had the same number of critics virtually, same number of audience voting on Rotten Tomatoes, and all of them said, Karate Kid, better movie, Michael Chiesa. Yeah, tomato, tomato, you know, I'm Italian. I probably, this goes to the hummus thing. You're going to sway towards authentic hummus. Me, I'm Italian. I'm swaying with the Italian stallion all day. <laughs> Rest in peace, Mick. That's my guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, the good news is most people on uh, Twitter certainly agreed with you. I'll put the poll up today. <laughs> A little bit later, and we can compare results uh, after the fact. Michael, stay healthy. Shoot me a text when you put your pull up. I'll put mine at the same time. Okay. Between now and then, I'm going to be at the skate park. All right, man. Well, have fun. Be safe. Don't get injured. And uh, hopefully this ends sooner rather than later. Good to check in with you. See ya. Take it easy, Luke. All right. There he goes. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barak Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. All right, we are back. Luke Thomas Show. Don't forget the uh, email for the show, Show at gmail.com. Um, as you guys know, we've been talking about the various ways in which the coronavirus is not merely affecting us personally, but the different sectors of society, art, entertainment, sports, and the like. And I found a really interesting article talking about how the comic book industry was being affected by it. Uh, Asher, I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name, but he's from the Daily Beast. It's Asher. Is it Elbine? How do you pronounce your last name, Asher? It's uh, Elbine. Elbine, Asher Elbine from the Daily Beast. Uh, welcome to the show, Asher. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Um, Asher, let's get into this. So I, it was so interesting. I, it, uh, this is one of those situations where now that you explain what's going on in the comic book industry, it makes total sense. But I wonder what the response to the article has been because had you not told me, I suppose it would not have occurred to me 
that the comic industry would be so uh, so badly affected. What has been the response to your article here in the Daily Beast? Um, well, it, it's it's been interesting. I mean, there I, I think a lot of people, frankly, just missed it because there's a lot of other uh, coronavirus news happening. Um, but the the response within within the industry has largely been people kind of like passing it around and saying, here, see, this is this is what um, pe- people are basically using it as like a way of explaining to people outside of the industry of like what's happening inside the industry. And a lot of the people I've sent it to have been like, wow, I had no idea. Um, I had no idea that this was going on. I've heard from readers who were sort of remarking that they had no idea that the that the situation was kind of as as um, uh, perilous and, and desperate as it is. Um, and I think a lot of people frankly, don't really remember that the comic book industry exists except as an ancillary to movies. Um, so it always comes as a shock to people to realize that it is a real business um, that that really does face like real uh, real threats at the moment. Now, before we get to some of the details of the story, help me out with something. I read comics as a kid. I think a lot of people did. Um, and I grew away from them, which I don't make a value judgment about, just a mere biographical sure. uh, record. Um when I was a kid, this was pre, I mean, the internet was just developing, so having a physical copy in your hands was critical. I'm imagining that's still mostly the case, but I'm actually a little bit curious about this. I mean, I get most of my books these days through my Kindle. To what extent is the comic book industry still very much a print industry? So it, that's a really interesting question. Um, it is, the comic book industry is still largely a print industry distributed um just in case you know any of your listeners uh, aren't really that familiar with comics, the main sort of distribution channel uh, for comics is these kind of like monthly or bi-monthly um, print editions that are like 26 to 30 pages uh, periodicals um, and like serialized stories. And usually uh, when we're in sort of like normal times, um, there are, uh, you know, people every Wednesday, new comic books come out and people go out to their comic book stores and they pick them up. And there's a whole sort of like, um, social aspect to it. And there's like a collecting aspect to it. And people have like long, like long boxes of, of comics that they save and they bag and they, um, sometimes trade or, or they, or they collect. And so the physical aspect of comics is actually like really important to the social aspect of the industry as it currently exists. But, um, digital comics are also pretty, have been pretty widely available. Um, they're usually priced about similar to what the physical comics are priced as a way of, um, sort of keeping the, the retailers happy. And so it's not to undercut the print distribution channel, but, because of that, there's this weird thing where it's like the industry has decided uh, more or less kind of by fiat that um, the print distribution channel is going to be the main one. And so there are like there is a there is a digital audience, but no one's entirely clear like on how much the digital audience actually intersects with the print audience, how much print people will like switch to digital for some books, but like pick up a bunch of print comics whenever they go into a comic book store. So when people talk about comics, they're nearly always talking about print, but like digital exists too, but no one's like really thrown their weight behind digital. Got it. Okay. So getting back to the story here, and again, we'll tweet it out from the station account, uh, but it's called the coronavirus outbreak has plunged the comics world into existential chaos. Is the story primarily, I mean, I read it, but I want to ask it in this way. Sure. Is the story primarily about 
the threat to comic book shops, or is the th- is the is the problem that comic book shops could face a a, a a great way to understand the larger problem beyond it? So that's that's also a really interesting question because the comic book shops are. Really? So, you know, it used to be that comics, um, I, you know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to guess when you were reading comics, but like, you know, it used to be like you could go and get like comics on, on the newsstand. Um, and for various reasons that stopped being the case, like in the I think like late 80s, early 90s is the sort of like the direct market uh, to comic book stores sort of took its place. And so now when we're talking about the comics industry, um, nearly all of it is funneled through either comic book stores, through graphic novel collections sold to bookstores, through like the bookstore market, uh, or digital. And comic book stores are where the vast majority of that attention goes. So if the comic book stores go away, it's not totally clear like where that slack is going to get picked up elsewhere. So there's this real um, there's this real kind of bind the industry is in, which is Everybody relies on comic book retailers as like the center of the industry. Um, it's not clear if they have to be the center of a thriving comic book industry or what a thriving comic book industry would look like without them. And, you know, change is really scary. And obviously the retailers aren't eager to find out what the industry would look like without them. So threats to retailers tend to get treated as threats to companies and to the industry as a whole. But of course, Disney owns Marvel and Time Warner owns DC Comics, and it's really hard to believe that they're not going to, you know, be putting out some comics no matter what. So it could very well be that what happens if there are no retailers is that the comics industry shrinks um, and changes into something that doesn't really look like something that we recognize, but doesn't go away. And it could be that the retailers go away and nothing very much changes. And it could be that the retailers go away and it completely destroys the industry. And, uh, nobody, just nobody really knows. And that, that I think is what makes it sort of difficult to untangle, um, what's happening here. And, Mostly because it's just the the retailers are sort of like the canary in the coal mine, but nobody knows what the gas is and and how dangerous it is. Mm. Uh, we I may not have asked it in a way that was more direct for the audience's sake. So if you could sort of succinctly tell the audience in the particular way the coronavirus is decimating or certainly creating problems for the industry, um, specifically what is happening uh, to the comic book industry? Certainly. Okay. So what happened is is obviously. Um, the the way that comics works is that there is uh, specifically comics in the UK and the United States is that there is a single company called uh, Diamond Comics Distributors that is the sole company that supplies monthly comics to retailers. Um, so they have a monopoly. And what ended up happening was um, a few weeks ago, Diamond essentially received news that they were not going to be able to distribute. Uh, monthly comic books to comic book shops because uh, some of their printers had shut down. Um, their freight networks were were experiencing a lot of delays. Basically, the entire distribution chain on Diamond's end uh, kind of fell apart. And so Diamond announced no new comics to stores. Um, and that put all of these companies in a really tough position because they couldn't just turn around and, and find another distributor to ship the comics because Diamond is it there's only one comics distributor for like physical monthly comics. And 
the retailers have always been concerned that companies would shift to digital and undercut them. So the retailers started pitching a fit, worried that, you know, the comics companies were going to keep releasing comics digitally, that people would start only buying their comics digitally, wouldn't come into the store. The stores generally are pretty undercapitalized as it is. A lot of them carry debt and there would just be this wave of closures throughout the retail side of the industry. And so what ended up happening was there was just this real flurry of activity with various companies like um, IDW or Boom Studios or Dark Horse, which are sort of like smaller, um, smaller corporate comics companies uh, saying, well, OK, well, well, to, to keep the retailers solvent, we won't release comics at all during the duration of this crisis. And then it wasn't clear if Marvel or DC were going to do that. Um, and. Both companies sort of signaled that they might release comics digitally, like new comics digitally, and go ahead with publishing plans. And then there was a big backlash to that. And finally, where, where everything sort of landed after like days where the news was changing like every half day, um, is that there are no new monthly comics uh, coming out from either Marvel or DC for the foreseeable future. And nobody knows when that's going to start back up again. Um, nobody knows, uh, if the sort of like the, the, the larger companies that hold Marvel and DC are going to kind of like push them to start moving product again. There's just, there's a complete lack of, of information and, and a lot of speculation as a result. So as I mentioned, when we, when I introduced you, Asher, I've been talking to so many different people about the ways in which the coronavirus is sort of weaving its way through society and what effect it might have. And if there's been any kind of common denominator, through these conversations, and it doesn't really matter the sector, one thing keeps appearing, which is that any kind of existing trend that was in that industry, which naturally, for the most part, tend to be slow moving, this has accelerated it to an extraordinary degree. So let me give you an example. One mm -hmm. might be in movie theaters. Movie theaters have been on the slow decline for mm -hmm. a long time, and the argument isn't that they will go away, but that when this is all over, a lot will have, A, gone out of business, and B, the ones that will stay will be the, the very, very expensive elite chains that could A, afford to weather this and B, still afford to uh, – or still offer a kind of unique experience that the home could not, especially when people have been cabin fevered for so long. Sure. So, so in terms of any trend in the comic book industry, could you see the coronavirus accelerating it? And if so, what are they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing about the thing about extinction events, which this is um, hopefully only in a in an economic way and not in a biological one. Um, but the thing about extinction events is that they they, you know, they take things that are happening slowly and make them happen really fast. And so the thing about the direct market of like um, one distributor distributing comics from a small number of companies to a small number of retailers, that's always been a really creaky system. Um, the, there have always been retailers who have been very unhappy with diamond comics, uh, distributors. And, um, there have always, I think, been, been companies that are, are kind of unhappy with them and, and are wanting to explore alternate options. And also it's, it's always, it's been hard out there for like comics retail for a really long time. Comics is, despite the fact that movies based on comic book characters make like a billion dollars, uh, comics is a pretty niche industry. And so, the people who are who are trying to you know make a living uh, at this labor of love, which is owning a comic book store, a lot of them are sort of like have always been kind of like on the edge of of being uh, profitable or even sustainable. So 
you know, there was this long sort of decline that people were kind of able to whistle past the graveyard about of like, well, maybe it's a bad year, maybe it's a bad couple of years. Um, you know, the system still largely works, the comics still largely get delivered. And now suddenly it's clear that like the entire edifice was like really shaky from the start. And now that it's not working, it's like there is there even really an industry right now? I mean, there are there are companies that are still employing like Marvel and DC are still employing freelancers to do work. Um, but if the available, you know, if their available pool of money shrinks, um, there are probably a bunch of series that are going to get canceled, which means there are a bunch of people who are going to be out of work. Um, it's not clear whether or not they'll continue to get work. It's not clear what companies are going to be willing to commission. Um, and all of this can really be tied back to, I think the fact that the comics industry has been sort of like on a slow decline since the, the since the boom of the nineties, like it never really recovered the highs. Um, it, you know, it, it, it used to be that like comics was, uh, you know, somewhat more widely profitable and, and comic sports stores were somewhat more, uh, widespread. And that might've been partially a function of like a speculator boom. But when the crash came, comics kind of like got back up to something, uh, something workable, but it never really approached like thriving success. Uh, and I'm talking here specifically about the corporate comics industry. Obviously there are, there are, um, indie comics and alternate comics, which exist, primarily digitally or, or through like alternate distribution. And they're mostly, I mean, I think they're going to be harmed by this stuff too, but um, they're not as closely tied into the existing ecosystem and they might be able to weather it a little bit better, but nobody knows. Yeah. Last question on this. Sure. This is a bit more broad, although it deals with the current conversation, which is what is the role of the comic book store? Now you kind of already indicated part of it is merely a point of sale for things that otherwise there would not be a point of sale. Um, and so if they go away or they shrink, where do you get that? I guess we can figure that other that part out when we when we get there. Do they serve any other roles? What I mean is, do they have a communal role? Do they have, in, in the if you are a comic book fan, is it just a place where you get your comic books or is there something more to it? I think a really well-run comic book store is absolutely a communal space. And a lot of communal, uh, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of comic book stores, they, um, you know, they they also they host sort of like board games or, or role playing game nights. You know, they they serve a really important role to directing people uh, who maybe don't know very much about comics or just walk into a store to directing them to um, books that they might like. You know, and, and also the fact that new comic books come out every Wednesday means that there's a really um, there's a really easy sort of way of, of binding this community together. Everyone's coming in. Uh, on the same day or I mean the real the real diehards are showing up on Wednesday but everyone's coming in at least once a week to get their new comics um, and so you know in, in a good comic book store you know people hang out there people hang out they talk to the retailer they talk to each other um, they they sort of talk they talk shop and talk shit and and do all those things that are really important in a communal space and you know it, it's like the difference between, getting your coffee to go versus sitting down at a coffee shop. Like you might, most of the time you sit down at a coffee shop, you might just sit down by yourself and read the newspaper. Uh, but you also might talk to someone and that opportunity is completely foreclosed when you're just treating the coffee shop as a point of sale. And so it's very similar with comics. A lot of people show up, they get their comics, they chat a little bit with the, with the retailer, they leave, that's it. 
but the space is there. And when the space is there, it gets used. And when the space is not there, all these potential uses just aren't available. If you want to read more about the article, and there's many more details we did not get into, so I certainly recommend it. It's called The Coronavirus Outbreak Has Plunged the Comics World into Existential Chaos. The author is Asher Elbon. Asher, great work. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Catch The Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L. Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.